Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that can wash away our sins except for the blood of Jesus. So thankful for the blood of Jesus this morning. Amen. Well, hey, welcome, welcome, Calvary Chapel. My name is Tim Romero. I'm the pastor here, senior pastor here. We have uh, a couple other uh, associate pastors here on staff, and uh, we're so grateful that you're worshiping here with us this morning. If you're a guest, we want to welcome you. So if you have a Bible, open up with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Timothy. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, Pastor Brian will get you one. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And again, uh, the, the sermon series is entitled House Rules. This is all about um, how we're to come together and operate within the four walls of the church. And so Paul is instructing his young protege, Timothy, and he's talking to him. Uh, specifically, it's a pastoral epistle. So it's one of three, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus, all written to pastors about how to operate within the four walls of the church and how to organize and all of these sorts of things. So that's the, that's the theme, the house rules of the church. Stand with me and let's uh, check out our text this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We will be looking at the first two verses this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you give us instruction that you give us all that we need, Lord, in order to bring glory to your name when we assemble, when we are sent out, Lord. You, you've given us all the principles we need to live by, and you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to be all that you called us to be, Father. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this morning that you would open our hearts to hear what you would have to say regarding rebuke, regarding encouragement relating to sin within the body of Christ, Lord. We ask you to speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, to help us to be hearers and doers of your word. And so we ask you by your spirit now to come and teach us how to do this correctly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you guys like the old school sitcom family movies. Anybody like, like the old school sitcom family movies? I'm not talking about the garbage that's on, there to, on TV today. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stuff in the 70s, the stuff in the 80s. Anybody learn any significant lessons from uh, the, the Cleaver family? Anybody uh, a huge Leave it to Beaver fan? Any, anybody here know Leave it to Beaver at all? A couple of y'all. You baby boomers, awesome. So that's great. Uh, Listen, I love to watch Ward Cleaver uh, ma- navigate through the, the different situations that the Beeb would find himself in, right? And then you, of course, have big brother Wally always dropping some significant wisdom and knowledge upon his little brother, uh, sometimes not the greatest, but I-, I love that family. How about the Cunninghams? Anybody love Happy Days? Like Happy Days was your, uh, listen, uh, I, I, I can't help but to think 
Mr. and Mrs. C, along with the Fonz, probably gave you some good wisdom, right? Uh, we see Richie Cunningham always uh, in these moral dilemmas, and he was always seeking wisdom from his father, his mother, from the Fonz, and, and so that was always a good thing to watch. Anybody uh, love the Bradys? Anybody Brady Bunch fans here? So, you know, you know that. that that's, an, that's a real-life family, right? You have a blended family of, uh, you know, three boys and three girls coming into this family. And, and man, Mike and Carol, they had their hands full, didn't they? Thankfully, Alice was there to help them out quite a bit. So, you know, uh, uh, it, it's just so interesting. All of these families, as I was thinking about the, the different families that made their way uh, you know, actually made an impact in my life, uh, you know, throughout my childhood and such, in my teenage years. Uh, you know, you, you can think about the Bunkers, the Jeffersons, the, the Drummond family from Different Strokes. I mean, the Banks family, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, hello? Hello? <laughs> DJ Jazzy Jeff, yo. And then we also have the Arnolds from the Wonder Years. And it, it, Yeah, I mean, we're going way back for some of you guys, and I know, but... But, but here's the interesting thing about that. All of these families, all of the families that were on the sitcoms there, did, although they were incredibly diverse and they had all kinds of different things going on in their surroundings, they all had one thing that was in common. Every family had problems. Every family had problems. And what was interesting about the storylines back in the 70s and 80s is that there was generally some sort of a good moral uh, you know, message in, in, in the, weaved into the show. And so if you would find somebody stealing something, the beavers stole something, then you would see him being confronted about that in his family. And then you would see how, you know, maybe his brother or his dad or somebody would say, look, Beav, you got to go make it right. And then he would find himself, you know, confessing what he's done and all that kind of stuff. There's always a, a sort of a moral story to it. But what was interesting about that is, if you, if you kind of look back on them, there was always sort of this idea of what not to do and what to do. And so there was always a decision that had to be made in, in, in these movies where, or these sitcoms where a person would be faced with doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing. And, uh, and so it was interesting back then that they generally navigated towards writing to do the right thing, which was, you know, which was great. That's totally different than what it is today. Um, but, but, but that's uh, sort of kind of what Paul is talking about in our story today. He's talking about the family of Christ. I don't know if you know this, but you are part of a family. If you're in Christ, you are part of, you're not just a child of God. You're not just a citizen of heaven. You're not, uh, you know, just a, an ambassador of the kingdom, but you are a, actually a family. You're, you're part of a big family. And, um, you know, Paul wants us to understand that within the, the context of the big family of God, that there will be problems. And, and the Bible tells us what not to do and what to do relating to these problems. And that's exactly what we find in our text this morning. Perhaps you, uh, re you remember the words from our text, father, brother, mother, sister. These are all words that can only be used in the context of family. And as you are all uh, well aware, when we come into the body of Christ, it does have some inherent problems. And many people run away from those things. But I want to tell you today, this morning, that the Lord wants his family to deal with their problems. He wants his family to navigate through 
things that are difficult. He doesn't want us to run away. He doesn't want us to act like nothing's happening. He wants us to work through our problems, and he tells us how to do it and how not to do it. Many, many, many families have a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, um, problem with trying to deal with, the, with difficult situations in their families. And so what do we do? Normally, we sweep them under the proverbial rug, right? And we act like everything's fine. And, and, and I'm telling you, that is not the Lord's will. The Lord wants us to be unified. And in order to be unified, we have to deal with uh, things that, that the Lord has brought to the forefront of our lives, when, when I became a, a believer early on in, uh, you know, my walk with the Lord, I would say probably a couple months into my walk with the Lord, um, something was brought to my attention in my family, and I had to deal with that. As a Christian, I felt an obligation uh, to this situation to do something about it. And so I made a call to several family members of mine, and I said, listen, there is... Uh, a significant situation going on here involving drugs and a child and and all this kind of stuff and I'm super concerned and I feel like you know there's a, a, a good bit of neglect going on there and you know I, I feel like I have an obligation to do something about that and so uh, just let you know that you know I think that we need to get child protective services involved to make this thing legal so that we can get involved in this child's life and and uh, I, I was met with heavy opposition when, when I made that call. Uh, my, my family sort of blew up on me and told me to back off and, you know, don't you understand where that will lead and all these kinds of things. And, and, and listen, let me tell you something. We live in a legal world. If you don't do things legally, it, you won't be doing them correctly. And so when you come to very, very difficult situations that are legal matters, you need to be thinking in a legal manner. You, you cannot let those things go. And so I said, listen, I'm going to step in and, and do something about this. And my family didn't like that very much. And uh, <laughs> they, they, they ended up, you know, it ended up creating a wedge between my, me and my family members. And sometimes that happens. When you try to address things, sometimes a wedge is, is put into your lives. Fortunately, um, my family called me back and they said, hey, listen, we understand where you're at and we do see this as being a problem and we're going to do something about it. And fortunately, they did and, and they got involved in it. And uh, it, it ended up being that uh, there was a, uh, the child was removed from the home and placed into one of my family members' homes. And it was, you know, now, now both my family members are doing great and they have a good relationship and all of that. So praise God. But what would have happened if I wouldn't have stepped in? What would have happened to the child? What would have happened to my other family members? What, what kind of guilt would have I bared had I not stepped in and dealt with the problem that was being swept under the rug? You see, dealing with, not dealing with problems is actually probably far more detrimental than what can happen when you try to deal with problems. The Lord does not want us to sweep things under the carpet in the church and act like they're not happening. And the church is great at that. The church is great at trying to contain things within the, the context of not, not uh, you know, revealing certain things and stuff, and that is not biblical. And so what Paul wants Timothy to understand in our text this morning, I'm not sure if you get what he's saying here, but what he's saying is he, he's telling Timothy, you need to understand how to rightly confront sin within the family of God. 
You need to understand how to have the right context in order to deal with the problems that are going on within the four walls of the church that involve sin. Now, anybody can confront somebody on sin, but I will tell you that Paul's emphasis is on rightly confronting sin. It's one thing to be willing to confront sin and to lambast somebody with the truth, we say, and, and, and you know, but is that the way the Lord would have us to do it? There is a right way and a wrong way to confront sin within the family of God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in these first two verses. The title of my message is Rightly Confronting Sin Within the Family of God. We, we begin with considering the attitude in which we are to confront sin. Look at verse 1 there, and I want you to draw your attention to two words in this first verse, rebuke and encourage. Notice he says, do not rebuke, but encourage. Uh, you, you, could, you could put that into a couple different categories, what not to do and what to do. And so Paul is explaining to Timothy, when you're dealing with uh, sin in the church, the way that you must do this is you, there's things you do not do and then there's things that you need to do. And so Paul is telling Timothy what not to do, do not rebuke, and what to do to but encourage when confronting sin within the family of God. Now, first, what not to do, do not rebuke. The word here used for rebuke literally means to strike, to give blows upon, to beat. It's not referring to physical violence, but verbal reprimand in a harsh and violent way. This is the only time in the New Testament that this specific word used, translated rebuke, is used. There is a sister word that, that Paul actually used in 1 Timothy 3.3 3, um, when speaking about qualifications for elders. He said, he, he said elders are not to be violent. And that word violent there is a related word to the word that he's using here. But in that context, it literally means physical violence. It means, you know, when you're expressing your opinion that you become angry and physically violent towards the person. He says an elder ought not be a, per a person that cannot control themselves in that context. They need to be self-controlled, somebody that is not violent in a physical manner. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul is saying that you, Timothy, speaking to Timothy, he's saying, do not beat people down with your tongue. Do not beat people down with your tongue when you're dealing with sin in the church. Making people feel small and worthless with your words. Words can hurt, and that's why I, I, I totally reject that age-old adage. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will what? Never hurt me? Totally false. Totally false. And as a kid, I'm like, oh, well, sticks and stones may break my bones. I didn't feel better when I walked away because words really do hurt. And yet that is the world's way of dealing with internal uh, hurt and wounds is to act like they're not there. Oh, you can't do that to me, although it exists. The reality is, is words can hurt very badly. That's why uh, James tells us you need to tame your tongue because your tongue is like a sword and it can slay people. It can also build them up. 
So our words matter, how, how we speak, the kind of words that we speak. Paul is telling Timothy, do not hammer a person with harsh words who is caught up in sin. Now, this might be a newsflash for you, but your disgust and repulsive response to a fellow believer's sin is neither helpful nor godly. It's neither helpful nor godly. Now, don't give me the wrong idea. Don't get the wrong idea from me. I'm not saying that, it's, that sin's not serious and that we can be flippant about it and that we should just say, hey, brother, it's okay, you know, all is well. But do not think for a second, for one moment, that your response in vile repulsiveness is the Lord. That is not the Lord. The Lord hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And he wants that sinner. He has one objective for that sinner. One objective, it is restoration. That is his heart. If you are an ambassador of Christ, when you're dealing with sin in somebody's life, your one goal, the one thing that you should be looking for is restoration, to restore that person, to build that person back up. How in the world can you do that if you're beating them down with your words? You cannot. You know what that will do to a person? That will lump upon them Already, they already have guilt and shame in their life, but then you lump more and more guilt and shame, which produces a cycle in their life where they just continue to do the same things over and over again because of guilt and shame. They run to something to get comfort, and it's just a vicious cycle. Be very careful with your words when you're talking to somebody about sin in their life. Listen, the Lord um, is serious about sin. Make no mistake about that. Sin separates you from God. It is a serious matter. But the Lord loves us so deeply, so intimately, so forgivingly that he wants us to understand that there's a way out. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants to rescue you. And you know what? We've been given that, that ministry of reconciliation. Is that a beautiful thing? Is it not a beautiful thing that you can go to somebody who is stuck in sin, no matter what it is, and you can say, listen, Brother, sister, there is a way out, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he wants to cleanse you of your sin. He wants to forgive you of all these things. He wants to remove the shame, the guilt, all of the things that are plaguing you down. He wants to restore you and be reconciled with you. What an incredible message we have, and what an incredible um, responsibility we have at the very same time, folks. It's a serious matter to address sin in somebody's life. We don't want to underestimate it. We don't want to overestimate it. We want to be exactly the way that the Lord is towards us. He reveals it with a, a very specific heart. Notice Paul says here that the, the proper response to a redeemed person walking in the Spirit of God regarding a sinning brother or sister is encouragement. Do not rebuke, but encourage. He wants us to encourage people. That is the attitude that we're to have towards people who find themselves in sin. That word encourage, I know you know the Greek word. It's a compound Greek word. It is parakaleo. You've heard the word para means alongside, kaleo, to call, to come alongside somebody who's sinning. You're to encourage them. It could be translated uh, to, to encourage, to admonish, to entreat, to, to appeal, or perhaps even the best translation in this context, to strengthen. 
When somebody is, is, has fallen into sin, they are weak. They've stumbled along the way. They've been tripped up in some way. What they need is a helping hand to get them back up. They don't need to be kicked while they're down. How is that going to build them up? You need to build that person up. You need to encourage them. And encourage them in a very specific way, though. Again, it's not in the context of, hey, it's okay, sin's no big deal. It's in the context of, listen, that sin is, is grievous, but God loves you and he wants to forgive you of those things. You need to turn to him and, and, and to encourage them to run to Christ. That's the point. Now, Paul tells us exactly how to do this. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, you may know this verse. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore in him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, our goal as a family of Christ regarding sin of a brother or sister is restoration. We don't need to beat people up for the mistakes that they've made. We need to encourage them to be restored to the proper place with the Father. That does mean confronting sin, folks. It does mean speaking about the, about the iniquity. It does mean to speak about the, 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 the transgression that's taken place. You have to address that. You cannot not let that go because you cannot fully restore somebody who doesn't understand that they need to be restored. They need to understand why they need to be restored. Any, any parents understand this. You don't just walk into your kid's room and say, you're grounded for two weeks. You know, they're gonna, what's the first question they're going to ask? Why? What did I do? You have to confront the actions in order for them to understand the, 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 the repercussion or the punishment, right? They need to understand what they've done. When you're dealing with a brother or sister, they do need to be, uh, that's in sin, you do need to confront the situation. You know, it's the same as the Lord. The Lord can't restore somebody unless they fully acknowledge what they've done. The Lord can't save someone who it doesn't understand that they need to be saved. That's the way it works. It's the recognition, the acknowledgement of sin. And sometimes people need help seeing that. And, and so we, we have to be careful about how we do it, but it does need to be done. Sin has to be addressed, acknowledged, and repented of in order for restoration to happen. It has to. Notice how you get a person to a place of acknowledgement and repentance. Paul says, with a spirit of gentleness. With a spirit of gentleness. Wait, how, where have you heard that word spirit and gentle in the same sentence? For the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The spiritual person that is calling to restore is a person, listen, Walking in the Spirit of God. You cannot, you cannot have that spirit of gentleness if you're not walking in the Spirit. It's my experience that when I'm walking in the flesh, I'm far from gentle. I'm far from forgiving. 
I'm far from the heart of God. When I'm walking in the Spirit of God, dealing with, with sensitive and serious matters, I, I, I find the Holy Spirit giving me the proper attitude and the right words and in, in the right context. It doesn't always go the right way. Don't get me wrong, but as far as I can tell in my own, uh, you know, dealing with the matter that I'm, I'm, I, I'm involved in, that I'm doing it in the right way, in the Spirit of God. We need to restore a person with a spirit of gentleness. Notice Paul goes on to say, but also guard your heart lest you fall into temptation. When you're dealing with somebody who is in sin, you need to, at the very same time, guard your heart as you're having this, this confrontation with them regarding the sin in their life. I think that's interesting. Why, why is that? Well, in one context, the idea that we all struggle, struggle with similar sins is true. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you uh, that is not common to man. And so we all struggle with kind of the similar things. And, you know, um, maybe you're dealing with something with somebody that you yourself struggle with. And so you have to guard your heart with that. However, I wonder if there isn't another sin that perhaps Paul is referring to when he utilizes um, th th this, this word, guard your heart, lest you fall into temptation. Perhaps Paul may be referring to the tendency for us to become condemning in the addressing or confrontation of, of the sin of a person, become prideful in that, to begin to elevate ourselves rather than considering that person where they are. Perhaps that's what he means. I never saw that connection until I connected that verse with 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, where he's, he's talking about what, how we're called to confront sin. And then Galatians 6, 1, with the spirit of gentleness. But guarding ourselves is very easy when you're addressing somebody else's sin to think you're pretty good. Very easy for you to become prideful and to think that, you know, man, I would never struggle with these kinds of things. Beware. Be careful. Guard your heart. Don't allow the enemy a foothold in any way, particularly self-righteousness. Beware of these things. Paul says, do not rebuke one in such a way, pridefully, violent reprimand, verbally. He goes on here, but he tells us to encourage, to restore. He, we've been given the ministry of grace, folks. How many of you guys are a recipient of grace in here? Anybody not a recipient of grace? Yeah. So we're all, we're all grace-bought people, blood-bought people. We couldn't do anything to get our way to heaven. And so when we're dealing with somebody else who is stuck in a situation, we need to remember who we are and what God has done in our life and how he graciously, so graciously and gently, you know, wooed us back to himself causing us to acknowledge our sin, to bow our knee before the Lord and say, God, I repent. I turn away from that life. I do not want to live in that way. And so Paul is telling Timothy to do the same thing. Remind yourself about that, Christian, when you are, are, are dealing with uh, somebody who is uh, tripped up in sin. The, the best way to do that is just a real quick read of 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, remember what it says here. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad it doesn't stop right there? You know what it says? And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do not forget who you were before you came to Christ. Do not, do not forget the grace that Christ has given you. Do not forget how you were bought by him, how you were born again into the family of God. Do not forget these things when you're dealing with sin in somebody else's life. We need to guard ourselves. The call to confront sin in the family of God, listen, is everybody's job. The call to confront sin in the family of God is everybody's job. But listen, if you are not willing to do it rightly, please don't do it. If you're not willing to do it biblically and in a godly attitude, please don't do it. The last thing we want to do is push a sinner further away from God. Last thing we want to do is, is push somebody who stumbled, particularly a Christian. I think the context in here is Christian people who are caught up in sin. It's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of sanctification. It's a matter of them being restored in relationship with God, right? So that's, that's what I believe the context is. But, but you know, as, as Paul is um, telling him, if you don't do it in the right way, it's very possible that you could heap more condemnation that the person's already feeling, and then that distances them. How many of people do you know that, um, that fell into sin and then fell away from the church said, I just couldn't come back and face them? You know anybody like that? I just couldn't come back and face you guys because of the sin that I was involved in. How much more difficult is it if then you come alongside them and begin to hammer them down? How much more difficult is them to come back that's why God is so gentle with us. Don't you love that about God? He's so gentle and kind and good and so loving towards us when he deals with our shortcomings. And, and, and listen, he wants you to use you in the same manner. It's a privilege, folks. It's an incredible privilege for a sinner to tell another sinner about their sin. It's an incredible privilege and one that we should never take lightly, and the one that we should always step into very cautiously and prayerfully, and that we are walking in the Spirit of God when we deal with these things. The last thing that we need is ill-equipped, hard-hearted Christians or pastors that are dealing with fallen brothers and sisters who can't help themselves, that are stuck where they are, and they just need a loving hand up. What do you do when... They reject it. What do you do when they say, I don't want your love? What would Jesus do? He would keep on loving them. He would keep on ministering to them as, 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 it'll, as time allowed, as, as the opportunities became available. He would continue to love them right where they are. Listen, you're not Jesus. I get that. I'm not Jesus. But, but if we don't die to ourselves and to our flesh, we will never ever become more like Jesus. So we need to 
to really be cautious about the way that we do this. So rightly confronting sin in the family of God requires the right attitude. Now Paul will demonstrate to us from older to younger, men first, then women, how we are to, to address and confront sin in, in, in the lives of, of people within the body of Christ. We begin with older men in verse 1. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Now, when he says older man here, Paul uses the Greek word prespapiros, and he's speaking about an elder. It's the same word that he used in 1 Timothy 3. It's the same idea, an overseer, a bishop, somebody who, who it can be translated in as a title within the body, but it can also be translated to speak of just an elderly man, and that's the context. He's talking about an older gentlemen. Elders are to be respected. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32, you shall stand up before the gray hair head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So the Bible speaks plenty about honoring your elders, and that's something that I love about the Southern culture. Anybody move here and be surprised about now? Now, it's changed a little bit, but when I moved here in 2007, it was no matter where you went, no matter, you know, in what context you were in, it was yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am. And, and that's still kind of the, 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 the vibe here in the Southern culture. It's about respect. It's about honoring your elders. It's about treating them with respect, something that is being lost in our culture today. I love that about the South, that there is a commitment to honoring elders, and that's biblical. It's a biblical mandate. Paul uh, is telling Timothy here, though, not if you have to confront sin in the older man's life, but when you have to confront sin in an, in an elderly man's life, you need to do it with the respect that you would your own father, your own father. Now, when we talk, talk about family, we talk about fathers, some of you, that, that, that analogy totally loses you because you had a horrible example of what family is. You had a horrible example of what a father is or maybe you never had a father in your home. I don't know. But here's what I want you to understand. The context of family, the context of a, a biblical father, a mother, a brother, and a sister is what Paul has in mind here when he's talking about these. He's not talking about the brokenness of family. He's not talking about the brokenness of a father or a mother or a brother or a sister. He's talking about in the context of his culture. And in his culture, there would be a sincere acknowledgement of the father of the home. Like the father of the home was literally the king of his own little kingdom in this culture. So, so anything that would be spoken of against the father, literally, do you know the father could put his own children to death, could put his own wife to death? He had that much authority and power in this culture. So when Paul says you need to address him as a father, you know, it's, it's with that context, it's with that idea of authority that he's been given all kinds of authority. He needs to be honored and elevated. But, but notice what he isn't saying. Don't address your father. Notice he isn't saying, don't ever go to an elderly man and address his sin. No, that's not biblical. If an elderly man, even in that culture, was out of 
bounds when it came to Scripture, Timothy was called to deal with it. And so are we. So are we. When, when, and it's interesting, you know, it, not necessarily in the same context of family, but in the same context of title, a lot of times we let title inhibit what the Bible says we're supposed to do about certain things. You ever notice that? Somebody has a title of an elder or a pastor, and we're like, whoa, I'm not going to tell them about what's going on in their life, man. Bing! And you, and, you, and you bail, and you don't go, I'm just not going to go to church there anymore. Listen, that's not biblical. That's sinful, actually, to flee from that. Maybe God wants to use you to address something in the life of the, of the leader in the church. You ever thought about that? Maybe God's revealing that to you for that purpose. And so, listen, um, and, and by the way, if, if I've ever done anything, I want to know about it. And, and I know Pastor Mike feels the same way. Pastor Brian feels the same way. We are not perfect people. <laughs> yeah, we're like, yeah, we know. I mean, we know. But, but we, I know I get it. Let's not go too far with that. But I mean, you know, but, but, but we want to know. We want to know. And, and, and so don't let title get in the way. Paul is telling Timothy, don't let your culture get in the way of dealing with, with somebody who, within the context of this church, is sinning. Now, uh, I, I had the, un, I guess, the privilege and <laughs> the, the awkwardness of having to do this one time with a mentor of mine in, in my life, somebody I love dearly, who was, the, who was and is to this day, no longer here with us, he's in heaven, but was and is the most godly person I've ever met in my life. Somebody I walked side by side with for years and years and years. And I, I worked with this person. This person mentored me in what it meant to be a businessman and, and um, you know, a Christian that happened to be in business. And he, he, he helped me along the way in my walk with the Lord tremendously. But he was not perfect. And being that close to, to people, you see, sometimes you see where they veer off. Now... As the younger protege, I guess, and I considered him like a father figure in the spiritual father figure to me, I saw him get too caught up in the world at one point. And so I, and not, not materialistically or anything, but he was very driven, very focused on, um, on uh, timelines and production and all this kind of stuff. And that was where the enemy knew he could slide in and Veer, it caused him to veer off the path, and so he did. And he became a little bit aggressive with people and in, 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 in the workplace and all this kind of stuff. And I, I had to, um, at one point, the Lord convicted my heart, and I had to go confront him on that. And so I, I went to my spiritual father, mentor, you know, business partner, and I said, hey, listen, uh, there's something in your life that we need to talk about, and it's the way that you're handling these things, these demands that aren't happening, and then the way that you handle them afterwards is unloving. And so, you know, I, I, you know, and I did it in a very humble way, as, as you should do that with somebody like that. And, and, you know, it was so interesting how he responded to me. Immediate humility, immediate repentance, knew exactly what I was talking about right when I said it, had no questions asked, said, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And I said, dude, I'm not the one you need to ask for forgiveness. You haven't done it against me. But there's a lot of other people out there that probably need to hear that from you. And specifically the Lord. Never seen anybody respond so godly to a situation that could have gone horribly wrong. 
could have gone horribly wrong and in, to, the, to the devil's benefit. That's what happens when there's spiritual maturity and something is done correctly. Do you know the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath? When you, how you say something is just as important as what you're saying. And if we as Christians would understand that more, I think a lot of our um, conflict within the, the, the world would go to the wayside. I really do believe that because believer or unbeliever, God's word is true. And a gentle answer turns away wrath just as well from an unbeliever as it does from a believer. And so if we will just listen to God and do what he says, but, but, but Paul's telling Timothy, when you address an older gentleman in the church, you need to do it in this context, in this way, and, and, and see, what, see what they'll do. Again, we talked about it last week, but Timothy was probably 30, 35 years old. His biggest downfall was he had no confidence in his calling. He was timid when it came to this. And so to address somebody older in that culture would be super difficult for him, I'm sure. And so Paul's saying, it doesn't matter how difficult it is, you need to do it, but here's how you do it. And this is the heart you do it behind. You treat them like you would your own father. Now, I think it's appropriate to say one other thing here. Young people, th this is not just in the context of the family of God per se, but it would also come into your home. There are times where it's appropriate for a child to address their father or their mother or someone in their family if they are not being godly. There, there comes a point in time where that is appropriate. But it needs to be done in context of the scriptures and done with respect, done with in a manner that would, you know, help. And, and from, a, from a, somebody who understands scripture, from a spiritual standpoint, listen, out of mouth of babes, right? There is so much truth that comes out of the mouth of children. And what they shouldn't be met with, if that ever happens, is pride. Do you know who I am? I'm your father. I am, I'm the authority of this house. You want to bite the hand that feeds you? Is that God? I don't think so. That sounds like the devil to me. I would say, and I would hope, if any one of my kids had to come to me in that way, that I would receive that. Because let me tell you something. It has to do with you. The, the Lord's already told you the problem, but you're not listening. And so he will humble you. He will bring your child to you. And he'll, your child will tell you your sin before you. Be careful, man. Be careful about how you manage your home. But, um, you know, it is, it is appropriate in that context. Paul is telling Timothy, within the family of God, treat them like a father if you address sin in the elderly one. What about younger men? He says younger men as brothers. Again, Paul, using the family analogy here, a younger man is sinning. You're to confront them like a brother. He's your brother in Christ. You know, we walk around and call people, hey, brother, hey, sister, do you mean that? Is that real? Some of us, we just say it, but some of us, we really mean it. Like, we're really a family. We are really a family, and, and I hope that's how you feel because that's what it's meant to be. Family, that's why we want to get as close to each other as we can within six feet social distance. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, we want to get as close as we can to one another, right? So we can love on each other so that we can know each other. Paul says um, to Timothy, who in this context would be the older one, 
addressing a younger man to do it as if he were equal to him. Isn't that interesting? He said, dude, don't flex your superiority over someone. Treat them like your equal, like your brother, like somebody that's on the same level as you. I was on YouTube uh, the other day, and, and I liked uh, um, whatever came across my feed, um, the, this older pastor who was in the pulpit, and he was hammering, hammering down on the younger men in his congregation. I'm talking about yelling at them, literally walking out in the congregation, pulling dudes up and railing on them in front of the entire congregation. I thought, oh, my goodness. Older man addressing younger men in a totally sinful way, totally out of, out of order, completely. Even the context and the why he was addressing these things was just so, so not the Lord. And sadly, that's how power is viewed and that's how power is abused inside and outside the church. If you're a superior, superiority over someone, if you're the, you know, above them in, in age, maybe in, in title or whatnot, be careful about how you address somebody. We need to address the, uh, the, the sin, but we, we, we ought not do it in authoritative, an authoritative kind of manner with that vibe. Paul said you need to treat them like, like brothers. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13.1, Let brotherly love continue. How do we address a brother in Christ? With brotherly love. We address them with, with love. And, and that's how we need to do all things. How we're to confront younger women or young, younger men, not from a place of superiority, but as a fellow, an equal. What about confronting older women? Look at verse 2. Older women as mothers. When confronting sin in the family of God, not only are we to treat elderly men like fathers and younger men like brothers, but older women like mothers. Now, it goes without saying that a mother is to be respected by her children. The Bible is very, very clear about it. God commanded it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you and your days may be long that it may go well with you in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. Again, in Proverbs 23, 22, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise, listen, your mother when she's old. Do not despise her. Now, listen, I have been around some older women who are incredibly nasty, incredibly brutal to have conversations with. I have a neighbor like that. And, and it's, it's uh, the encounters that we've had are not pleasant. The, you know, and, and, and I think that there's some medical things going on there. I'm not sure, but here's what I know. It doesn't matter how she treats me. She's an older woman. And the Bible has a mandate upon us to treat people in certain ways. We need to love everybody, but listen, there needs to be a respect there regardless. And, and that's not easy when somebody is being incredibly nasty towards you. And my wife has done an incredible job 
with our neighbor about various different things. She has had lots of conversations with her, trying to bridge the gap and bring things, you know, um, to a peaceful place. But man, it's difficult. But does that mean you stop doing it? No. No. Paul's telling Timothy that, listen, older women, doesn't matter if they're crabby or not, you need to, when you're dealing with them, treat them like your own mother. Like, treat them like your own mother. And again, that, that context might totally lose you. But he's talking about it in the biblical sense. Like, in, in the proper sense of what a mother should be to her children. Paul had to do that in Philippi. Remember Euodia and uh, Syntyche? Where these two women had a skiff in the church, and Paul said, I had to address them. But he did it in a loving way. He did it in a way that hopefully was breeding restoration. And he told those in Philippi, continue to foster that and help them grow together as one. So Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to respectfully and gently exhort older women like he would his own mother. Finally, younger women. Younger women as sisters in all purity. When confronting younger women, Paul tells Timothy to treat them like sisters. They treat your sister. Treat your sister just like you would treat your brother. You treat them with respect as a fellow, same plane, not as a hierarchy if you're older or whatnot, but you treat them like you would um, you're a, a younger man. Again, the idea is with love and respect and um, you know, from a peer-to-peer -peer rather than superior, superior to subordinate. That's not the way that the Lord would have us to handle that. He wants us to be, uh, you know, respectful. Notice Paul adds the words in purity. This is interesting. Because what he's saying is it would be really easy for Timothy when he's dealing with younger women in the church for him to be impure in the way that he's dealing with them. What does that mean? He's speaking in a sexual context, and he's speaking not just physically, but also mentally. He's speaking about beware, perhaps that's what he was talking about in Galatians chapter 6, when he said, guard your heart, when, you, when you're addressing somebody's sin, make sure that you don't fall into temptation yourself. I'm sure that's part of the context, but he's telling Timothy that you, when you deal with younger women, um, in the church, that you do it in purity, that you keep your heart pure, that you view her as your sister, that you're looking at her in the same way that God would look at you and, and, and look at her and, and that your brother and sister. It has the idea of incest involved and in, in, in how, you know, to have such an impure thought or to physically or mentally have impurity within that context would be sort of incest to the Lord. And, of course, we know Deuteronomy 27, 22, Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all people shall say amen. The reality is God makes lines in the, in, in the family. And he says, listen, Man and women can come together, but outside of the family. But in the side of the family, you need to be careful. And he's telling Timothy, you need to be careful because you're sort of the, you know, the analogy would be you're the firstborn that has been put in charge of this family, and you need to guard them well. You need to protect them. You need to, 
you know, navigate uh, the life with them and do it in the right way. It is a grievous act to commit sexual sin with a young woman whom, in whom you're trying to help spiritually. And the enemy knows how grievous it is, and he works extra hard to make that happen. He understands, as I said last week, dude, he understands the chemistry of men and women. He understands how all that works, and he's very, very deceitful, and he's very, very sleek in how he uh, tries to mitigate that and create an environment where there can be sin at play. And so anybody who's in a counseling situation with somebody, you know, and, and I don't care how old it is or not, you know, in this context, he's saying younger women is probably more prevalent in that manner in his culture. But I would say in our culture, it doesn't matter. Be careful if you are counseling somebody. You know, and, and in fact, we've sort of, we sort of make it a rule, um, kind of a rule that, you know, men are to counsel men and women are to counsel women for that very reason. We don't want to give the enemy sort of any, any room to do anything. Now, I'm your pastor, and if you need to talk to somebody and you're a woman, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, no problem. I'll have a conversation with you as your pastor, but my wife is going to be there, or I'll have Pastor Mike there or somebody else there because that's the way we, we want to we guard ourselves. I think that is prudent to do. And, you know, I, I love Billy Graham's sort of... Um, his own little rule that he made for himself. He, there's two things that he would never do. He would never be alone with another woman other than his wife in any context, in any situation. And he'd never be alone with any of the money in the church. Aren't those the two things the enemy uses? Don't, isn't that what the stuff you see on the news? Pastor steals money from the church or pastor took off of the secretary or whatever the case might be. That, that's what happens. The enemy is so good at that. And so Billy Graham said, well, I'm just not going to let him do that just going to guard my heart so that I don't have, so that there's no opportunity for that. Paul said to Timothy, when you're confronting younger women, think of them as your sister. Confronting sin within the family of God, listen, it's a necessary part of ministry. It's a necessary part of being a family. And if there are things that you know about in people's lives and you do nothing about that, then, you know, I, I would say you're going to have to, there's going to be some answering to the Lord for some of those things. You know, because, because God doesn't just reveal things to you so that you can be in the know. He's like, oh man, I need to, <laughs> I need to get Tim in the know on this situation. Hey Tim, you know, he's not gossiping, right? He, he let you in the know because he wants you to be his ambassador. He wants you to help in that situation. Now, listen, you, you're not the hound dog of heaven that needs to go around the church sniffing around to see who's doing what and whatever. That, that's not what, that, there's plenty of people that will do that, by the way. That job's already taken, right? <laughs> so, but, but, you know, but if you come across something you know, and the Lord reveals something. You need to deal with that. You need to have that conversation. And listen to me. I would rather be incredibly wrong about what I sense in a situation than say nothing and, and see what I see totally destroy their life. Would you not? My, my pastor from Florida, 
the Lord revealed to him that somebody in his church, on the, lead, on the staff of his church, was in an adulterous affair. And, and the Lord told him, you need to go tell him. He said, dude, I'm not doing that. I'm not, what if I'm wrong? Well, I'm not going to go tell him that. And, and so he didn't. And then guess what? Two months later, it was found out that he was going to have an affair with exactly the person that he thought it was. And the Lord had brought that to his, his understanding two months prior. What could have happened if he would have stepped into that situation and said, dude, you good in that situation? Are you sure that's, that doesn't look right to me? Are you sure that there's not something there that you need to consider? Listen, it is time for the church to throw political correctness out the door and, and not violating people's personal space when they're in the body of Christ and saying, listen, I care about you. I love you. Let's deal with this situation. Let's not let it come to pass. I struggle with it as much as you do. When the Lord reveals something to me, I struggle with going in and talking to that person about that thing. It's not fun. Nobody likes to do that. How many of you guys just love confrontation? It's like, you're, dude, I am, a, I am awesome at it, man. You know, like I was in debate class in school. I love being conf you know, confronting. You know, if you do, then, you know, I, I don't think that that is the right. <laughs> I don't think that's the Lord because <laughs> it, it is, it's one thing to have a willingness to do it, but it's told another thing to want to do it. Right? Nobody wants to go and talk to somebody else about their sin. But it is incredibly necessary. As a body, as a family, right? We want to deal with our stuff. We want to make sure that people understand where they sit. Listen, let me tell you this. You're not responsible for the response. You are not responsible for what they do with what you say. And by the way, contrary to popular belief, you're not the judge. And so you don't get to make the determination of what they've done, whether that meets your satisfaction or not. But what you must do is you must deal with it. And you must, you know, you don't drop it off on somebody else's lap. That's, you know, definitely don't go around and talk about it with everybody else. That's called gossip. But what you need to do is deal with it. Listen, uh, in some regards... Um, that person may not even be saved. You know, you, you may not only be addressing a sin that you see in the moment, but it could, could open up a moment where you could share, uh, you know, an eternal gospel that could change their trajectory forever. I mean, it, it's not, it's not uh, it, it, we, we can't let our culture and allow our um, own personal feelings about how we, we, whether or not we do this, we need to do it. You know, it's in a, in a biblical context, the Lord is telling us to do these things. And uh, so I just want to encourage the body of Christ this morning, man, you're a family. And so we should act like a family in the right context, not in the broken context, not in the context of us sweeping things under the rug and acting like things are not happening. Um, you know, we need to deal with things. Uh, we need to deal with uh, things that, that the Lord has brought up into your, into your knowing uh, in other people's lives, and um, you know, and and by the way, if uh, if you are ever approached by somebody in the church and they say, "Hey, this is what I believe the Lord is showing me," can you be gracious to them? Can you say thank you for caring about my soul? 
Thank you for caring about where I am with the Lord and can be, can being concerned for me. And that is Christian love, right? It would be unloving for you not to address it. And so let's be brothers and sisters. Let's, let's be uh, biblical people to each other and let's love on each other and let's, let's, um, let's not rebuke each other, but let us encourage each other and let us come alongside those who are struggling and restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and Lord, what a humbling passage it is to consider the context of rightly confronting sin within the family of God. And it's not a popular theme in today's culture because it is one of those areas where in some regard, we feel like there are boundaries. But I believe that your, your word breaks down those cultural boundaries that the enemy has really put in place to keep us in secret so that we can live in darkness. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, that if there are things that we know about in other people's lives and we are saying nothing, will you give us the, number one, the right attitude to bring that before them? A spirit of brokenness, Lord, for their sin. Will you help us to see, Lord, the things that you see and the damage, perhaps, that that sin is causing in their life? And then give us the, the boldness, Lord, with a spirit of gentleness to step into that and to encourage our brother, our sister. As Paul encouraged us here today through your scripture, Lord. We pray if we're the one, Lord, perhaps we've got something going on in our own hearts. And right now you're, you're telling us, hey, there's something wrong. There's something off in your life. This is your perhaps umpteenth warning the one thing about you Lord is you will take private matters public because you care about us because you love us and you will reveal sin in our life to other people because perhaps that's the only way that we're going to hear your voice Lord I, I ask this morning that if there's any anything going on in anyone's heart here this morning that needs to be repented of, being turned away from, Lord, that you would, by your spirit right now, bring that spirit of brokenness. Help us, Lord, to confess our sin to you this morning, to repent, to turn away from it, and to turn to you. And maybe there are those here this morning that don't know, even know what that means but no, they feel like there's guilt, there's shame, there's, I know I've, I'm distant from the Lord. And if that's you this morning, the Lord is perhaps convicting your heart to, to call you into relationship with Him. We're about to partake in communion here to remember the broken body of Jesus Christ 
to remember the, the blood that was shed on our behalf so that we could be forgiven and set free from the sins that so easily entangle us. Maybe for you this morning, the response is, Lord, I want to be born again. I want to be cleansed of my sin totally. You simply call upon his name in a, in a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I come to you right now and I am incredibly aware that I have sinned against you. I've missed the mark and I am separated from you. I acknowledge my sin before you today, God. Whatever that might be and I ask you to cleanse me today. Forgive me, Lord. Take the weight of shame and guilt from my shoulders even now. I believe that you sent your son to be crucified. He paid the price that I couldn't pay. And I believe in his perfect life, his tragic death upon the cross and his glorious resurrection. That not only did he die, but he rose again from the dead for me. And I want to declare him king of my heart, Lord of my life. Here's the keys, Lord. Take over. I'm yours. And we thank you, Lord, that a prayer like that will save a person's soul, will cleanse them from all sin, as we sang earlier, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask you as we close now and we partake in communion, Father, that you would move mightily in this place. That we would be formed and fashioned to the image of your Son and the world would fade away, Lord. And so we come now, Lord, with open hearts, Lord, asking you to do your work in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.